Today, we're talking to Carrie Mayer about her book, All You Have to Do is Call, about a very timely subject and what it means for us to come together as women. That's a nest all its own. Like a sparrow building shelter with branches for its young. My mother built a nest with love for her little ones. My grandfather told her, doesn't matter what you have. The only thing you need for life is each other's helping hands. Never the empty nest, my mother always says. Spread your wings and fly, you can always come back to rest. Never the empty nest, my mother always says. Wherever you may go to grow, this will always be your home. Okay, hello everyone and welcome to Never the Empty Nest. We're back, we're back with the second of our very special Miami Book Fair interviews today. Today we have Carrie Mayer, who is the author of The Kennedy Debutante, The Girl with the White in White Gloves, a novel of Grace Kelly, and her third book was The Paris Bookseller. And then the book she has out right now, which she'll be reading from at the book fair, is All You Have to Do is Call. And it's really good, and it's really exciting, and we can't wait to talk about it. But first, hi. Hi. I'm Vanessa, as you know, and here I am with Jackie and Nicole. All of us are in this, uh, we all huddled into this this podcast today in, in late mode. So how are your days before we welcome Carrie? So everybody knows what kind of state everybody's in. How <laughs> How's your day, Nico? I'm just, you know, when you have a cold, I just flew in last night from Miami back home to LA and I, I, I got a nasty cold while I was traveling and um, it's not COVID. I just tested negative, but I'm just like, just constant, the congestion. I, th I think I have a sinus infection. Uh, yeah. So I'm just a little foggy. I have like a temperature. So I'm just like, Ooh. Um, but I'm good. I really enjoyed the book and I'm excited to uh, be here right now. Amazing. You know, when you're in two places at once. So I'm literally in rehearsal and here at the same time. And so rehearsing for a show that's going up at Actors Playhouse and lots of things. Nikki was down in Miami for a very private reading of something that we're doing. And then today I took Taika, uh, the five-year-old, to the dermatologist. And I was just like, they put a little cream on his like armpit. <laughs> he has like some... Did he have a rash? Like viral skin thing. He has a rash. Mm. And the, the doctor's like, ah, everybody has this. This is so benign. But look, I'm going to put this on and then you have to take it off. Okay, take it off because then otherwise it'll burn. So just take it off in two hours. I was like, no problem. I'll do that right before. Okay, great. So I'm doing it and Taika goes in the shower. He goes, mm, what kind of person are you? <laughs> Because it's Does it stung. hurt? And I was like, Tyka. <laughs> That's very dramatic. What kind of person are you? And I was like, I am your mother who loves you very much. And I'm trying to do everything the doctor says. But it was very dramatic and uh, kind of amazing. So I thought I'd share that. Mom? Well, I can only say that I'm overcommitted again. As usual. <laughs> and I'm trying to work on that. Um, some of it I have control over, I think. I need to practice on that and, and the other part I don't. So that's been my day, overcommitment, sorry. Yeah, um, that's actually in the book <laughs> that we're going to talk exactly. about. Exactly. partially in there. Having several so lives. why don't we welcome 
Yeah. Why don't we we welcome Carrie Mayer to our little podcast? Hi, Carrie. Thank you oh for being gosh, here. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. It's like a pleasure to be here with you three ladies today. <laughs> we completely loved your book. And uh, just to give people a sense of what it's about, it's really based on the Jane Collective, a group of women who, well, I think I'll let you tell us yeah. a little bit about what the Jane Collective is. And then this rich group of characters, actually, who are also friends and who are dealing with very specific moments in their lives. And this is in Chicago in the 1970s. And essentially, all you have to do is call because if you needed an abortion, when abortion was illegal, you could call this group of women and um, you were a Jane, part of the Jane Collective, right? So can you tell us a little bit about what the desire to write? Do you have something to say? But my, my mom has something to say before. Yes, I just want to say, Carrie, thank you very much. Um, uh, you're all very young, uh, but I'm 67. So this book in the 70s, I was a teenager growing into a young woman. So I was able to really identify with your message because I lived it. This was uh, part of my generation my generation as a young woman, um, teenager, because when you're 17 or something like that, you're a teenager, and also being a Cuban refugee, which comes from another completely culture. So it's a very significant book. And, and for me, it spoke directly. Very timely, too, with what's going on unfortunately well, but that's yeah. my question to you so how did you how did you come into it because obviously we know it takes a lot longer to write a book and then you know we, we come into this moment where Roe versus Wade is overturned but like you must have been writing this way before so can you tell us a little bit yeah about that and answer all hit all those notes in one answer <laughs> um yeah there were a lot of them this is like a piano over here I know exactly um and thank you so much for the compliment it really means a lot to me um you know feel you know when people tell me that I, you know, it resonated with them, especially if they lived through this moment. It really, it, it means so much to me. So thank you. So, so you've already sort of described what the Jane Collective was. They, but they actually began as a referral service. Jane was their colloquial name. Really, their name was the Abortion Referral Service of Women's Liberation, <laughs> which is a mouthful. Because the, indeed, they started as a referral service. It was a, one woman in college, Heather Booth, who's very much alive and well. Oh, let me put a pin on this and say especially for those of you who have followed me for my first three books, there's one very important difference between this book and my other books, which is all of the characters in my, this book are entirely fictional. Whereas, you know, my book about Grace Kelly and Sylvia Beach, who opened Shakespeare and Company in the 20s, they were real women. So my novel, it was a novelization of their lives. This book takes the idea of the real life Jane Collective, and but, but I use entirely fictional characters to tell the story. So with that in mind as, as the backdrop, so there I am in 2018, okay, that's when I first learned about the Jane Collective. I'm on my way to meet a friend for a movie and I'm listening to NPR. And you know how NPR does those wonderful narrative news stories where you learn all kinds of interesting things. So they, they just happen to be doing a piece, like a 10 minute long piece on the Jane Collective. And they're t telling the story about how Heather Booth was in college and her friend, she was in these consciousness raising groups, these like feminist women's lib, consciousness raising groups. They talked about all kinds of things, what it was like to be a woman in the world, how to change the status of women in the world. And, you know, sometimes a woman needed some help. And she was somebody who was able to get a good abortion for a friend of hers. 
I'm going to put the word good in quotes, right? It was, it was safe. It was yeah. affordable. Um, there was no infect, there was no repercussions. Okay. But there were still blindfolds involved. There was a lot of subterfuge, you know, um, it was still what we would refer to as a back alley abortion. Right. And so slowly Heather Booth and some friends started becoming this, this referral service and it grew and grew and grew and very organically. Suddenly they had women as part of this organization that they came to call Jane, who were drivers, who were phone answerers, who were handholders. And there was a core group of them who slowly kind of got more and more involved in the process, kind of as a, in an assisting capacity. All right. And then yeah. they, when they realized that their most reliable provider, who they had thought was a doctor, was not a doctor, they, they were like, well, shoot, you know, if he can do it, we can do it. Mm. <laughs> and as it happened, he, mm, he was in Chicago anyway, so he taught them the procedure. So I'm listening to all of this in this NPR news story going, what? <laughs> you know, like women just like me with no, who were not nurses or doctors or had any medical training whatsoever, like they, they, they really took this over and they did it with remarkable, um, uh, they, they did it with safety and dignity. They took, once they took over the process and it became an entirely woman um, run organization, reproductive health organization. Um, they, they left the blindfolds off. They did have to use some, you know, subterfuge with, with locations, which was pretty complicated, but, um, you know, to mm -hmm. keep themselves and everybody safe. But it really, they, when they took over the organization, it really was like they, they, it meant something to them that this was not going to be the worst day of the woman's life, that this was really a moment of liberation. You know, again, we're in the early 70s. It's women's lib is the second wave of feminism. And I was just so moved by that. As soon as I stopped the car, I was like, I, of course, I fire up Amazon. I'm like, has anyone written a novel about them before? And it didn't look like they had. Right. Um, and I knew that I really, if I possibly could, I wanted to write about them. And so here we are five yeah. years later. <laughs> At a moment that is terribly yeah. opportune for yeah. the book, you yeah. know. One thing that you just said, which is, you know, this moment of, that it is this moment of liberation. I think that one of, there's so many little things that happen with the, in the moments of the women getting the abortion that I think are, you know, like the the jokes around the abortions are really great. Mm -hmm. Like I think, which was the one that I wrote down? Oh, more, more vaginas than Mick Jagger sees on tour. <laughs> um, it's a great line. Also, there's this moment where Veronica talks about this nascent strength. That to me was this wonderful moment because it's just like we all know what that is it's like this little quiet beam of absolute strength inside all of us that just can do a thing and to point it out at a moment like that is so special so this is a podcast about nests right like families communities you know groups that get built around for whatever reason and in this case it's the Jane Collective here you know so how did the characters the specific characters, like whether it's the artist who doesn't, you know, want to be controlled by her ex, who is then related in this very special way to one other character. But, um, you know, whether it's that or Veronica herself, who's herself pregnant and giving abortions, how did those characters come for you? Before you give us that... <laughs> 
I just want to say that when you go through the book and you see all these little, uh, the first thing that came to my mind because we were going to meet today, uh, not that I always, oh, I do sort of, but not all the time, think in terms of nests. Um, I could see how how you wove each of these characters. And if I put all these characters together in their strengths and their flaws, and I went back to me and my friends that are still my friends, uh, they make up one human being. Uh, because everything that they were going through and feeling in one way, shape, or another, or their thought processes, or their heart processes, at some point, we were all of them. And I'm talking personally now. Everyone was a patty at some point, or everyone was a, yeah. I see what you're saying. So, so let's, let's hear where they, they, they came from for you. Yeah. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Like, you know, the sort of interconnectedness of it, of us all and how we are all, and as you just put it, you know, also we're all sometimes, a, we've all been a Patty, we've all been a Margaret, we've all been a Veronica, right? Or we, we would love to be a Veronica. I would love to be a Veronica. Yeah. Um, I think, unfortunately, maybe I could only write about a Veronica, but um, okay. So those are, those are the three point of view characters, right? Veronica, who is a founder of Jane. She is, when the book opens, she has a seven-year-old child, um, daughter, and she's pregnant with a second child. And okay, so I'll leave it there. And then she has this old friend, Patty, who I really wanted in this book to explore women's friendships in a few different ways, right? And I knew that I wanted to have an old friendship of the nature where, like, and I think I even say this in, in the early chapters of the book, like if Patty and Veronica were to meet at a, like a, a PTA mixer now, they would not become friends, right? right. They are friends right. because they've been mm -hmm. friends since middle school. And there's yeah. all that shared yeah. history and like real love there. And they are different people when the novel opens, right? But they are very connected to each other and care deeply about each other. And they, and they, they both in their different ways want the, the friendship to move into the future, but they, this this book sort of presents a crisis in that friendship, right? Um, a crisis moment in that friendship. Um, in part because Patty is jealous of Veronica's new friend, Siobhan. Siobhan, who is not a point-of-view yeah. character, um, one of the three point-of-view characters, but she's a very important secondary character. And she's the one who co-founds Jane with Veronica, and she's the painter who's divorced from this man named Gabe, who will become important in a minute. In a minute. And then we have the third point of view character, Margaret, who is new to Chicago. She is a young career woman. She has a PhD in um, English. She is a tenure track professor at the University of Chicago. And she meets Gabe, <laughs> um, Siobhan's ex-husband, who's yeah. also a professor at the university, and they start to date um, meanwhile, she also secretly starts volunteering for Jane. Oh, and you know, for, for listeners who haven't read the book, also, Patty, Patty has no idea that her best and oldest friend is involved with Jane. Right. Okay. Right. And and would be yeah. very upset or, or her, her right. Or uh, like and she would be very <laughs> right. upset to find this out. Oops. Um so 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 you yeah. know, so we've when the book opens, there are lots of secrets that are being kept. There are lots of people leaving leading double lives or choosing to start leaving double lives because they like Margaret intuits accurately that if she, when she starts volunteering for Jane, that she maybe shouldn't tell her new boyfriend this. Like, she isn't right. really sure why. She finds all kinds of reasons not to tell him. 
turns out to be a wise decision, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And I won't say anything more about that. But Margaret also, um, you know, so Margaret has this interesting sort of relationship from afar with Gabe's ex-wife, Siobhan, who's also, mm-hmm. you know, it, uh, mm-hmm. very involved with Jane. But Margaret also becomes very good friends with Phyllis, who is a, not a point of view character, but another very important secondary character. She is Black. She's the only Black yeah. member of Jane. She's also faculty at the University of um, Chicago. Um, she's actually a gra- almost done graduate student um, teaching. And she and Margaret get to be very good friends. Phyllis was an important character for a whole bunch of different reasons, um, one of which is historical accuracy. Jane was, yeah. was in fact, mostly a group of white feminists um, who were, in fact, mm-hmm. providing this service. They called the abortions the service. This service mm-hmm. mainly to Black women in Chicago, um, especially after 1970 when abortions became legal in New York State, women of means, which usually meant women, white women, would take themselves to New York to get their clean hospital abortion on the up and up, right? And there yeah. was a moment, right, when when the, the women of Jane were like, well, when abortion became legal in New York, which wasn't that far away, they were like, well, at this point, should we be, go back to being a referral service and maybe like a busing service? not unlike what we're seeing today, yeah. right? right? Or should we continue to operate cl- a clandestine clinic here in the city? And they they decided that they did need to, they needed to continue operating in Chicago because the need in Chicago was too great. And in fact, you know, they they weren't able to keep great records because of the clandestine nature of what they were doing, but there are many estimates that that put the number of abortions that they referred or provided in the late 60s, early 70s at around 11,000. <laughs> so, my God. yeah, I mean, this was a large number wow. of people that they were helping. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I mean, it, obviously this was illegal right. and there was risk of, you know, go, right. going to jail. Yep. Like, yes. mm-hmm. this, is, this was not legal. And there's a moment in the book where Phyllis is like, yeah, I'm not going to be recruiting black undergraduates <laughs> to do this because it's going to be 10 right. times worse. Right. If right. Not, yeah. You yeah. know, but the absolute need of having someone that is black dealing with women who are getting yep. the abortions, you know, on the right. other side. So that I thought was really, really important. And then they, there were all these like, you know, small lines that were anything but throwaway lines like there was this i think it's gabe that says like oh is Brady Ferdan really gonna ruin our evening (laughs) you start (laughs) like they brush it over but it makes you ask yourself as you're going like all these small things that get brushed over are actually the things that build and put women in this situation of actually not having freedom yes you know and how that those tiny little moments so i thought that was you know that was really powerful in the book just the the building of of all of that do you have a um a favorite of the pov or or (laughs) or i really do love them all for very different reasons i mean i it took many drafts oh i think you know i think actually part of your original question that i didn't answer was how did i come up with these three characters these all of these characters and so the real and sort of woo woo answer is they kind of walked on stage in my mind and said i'd like to audition for the part please I just sort of, I, Veronica and, and Siobhan kind of came to me all at once. And then very once I realized that Siobhan needed a best friend who disagree, would have disagreed with her on this subject, then we had Patty. 
Um, and then I also knew that I wanted Gabe to have a new girlfriend, and that was Margaret. So all of it sort of came together pretty quickly like that. But I will tell you, it took me a long time to get to know these characters well enough to have, I mean, and this had, there were many drafts of this, of this book. And, and these characters went through many pages that went up on the cutting room floor as I was, as I was getting to know them. Yeah. At what point, just in the timeline, uh, so this book comes out literally, right, as it's as as Roe v. Wade is getting, you know, reversed. And it's like what's it's actually what saves them, you know, at the end of your like towards yeah. the end of your book, you know. So at what point do you realize as the writer of this thing that it's coming out at a particular time? Like and obviously the right. publisher. Right. You know what I mean? Like what is and did anything have to change in the book? Was it that close? Yeah. Where was it? You know, I'm just timeline yeah, curious Yeah, it's such here. a good yeah. question because, you know, people look at this book and they're like, oh my God, it's coming out right now. Like, um, But like I said, you know, I got the <laughs> yeah. idea in sort of in 2018. So just a little bit of a timeline. So when I got the idea for this, my first historical novel hadn't even come out yet. It was about to come out, The Kennedy Debutante. So The Kennedy mm. Debutante came mm. out. Wow. I was actually in the middle of writing my Grace Kelly novel, The Girl in White Gloves, um, when I got the idea. And I just sort of kept it to myself for a little while. The first time my agent pitched it to the publisher, she pitched two books to them. One was The Paris Bookseller about Sylvia Beach and the original, say, Shakespeare and Company bookstore, and the book we were then calling The Jane Novel. <laughs> and my publisher was like, <laughs> I don't know, Carrie, like going from the Kennedys and Grace Kelly to, you know, the Jane Collective seems like a big jump, but we love The Paris Bookseller. Go write that book. So I was, I went and happily yeah. wrote The Paris Bookseller. So this is now 2019 into 2020. So in, at, toward the end of 2020, I'm finishing the Paris bookseller and it's time to talk about what the next book is. And I really, really want to write about the, the women of Jane. And so yeah. it, we, we, my agent and my editor and um, my edi the editor-in-chief of the imprint, and all I, we all get on a call together and we talk about what that book might look like. And I talk about these characters and I've written a little bit about them and I got the green light to write it. So that was late 2020. And it was like, you know, deep pandemic. It was all on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, okay, this is, so that, that was, so then that it was at that point that I started writing the book in earnest, which is amazingly like three years ago now. So when mm -hmm. Dobbs wow. hits in 2022, I'm revising the book. The book is more or less okay. in the condition that you're reading it with, but not completely. There's still time for me to make some alterations mm -hmm. if I want to. And I don't make any major changes because of Dobbs because like it's still historical fiction. It's still about the time that it's about. Yeah. But I, I did lean in yeah. a little harder to a few things that I maybe hadn't highlighted quite as brightly, which were the legal things that were on the table for women in the early 70s. The Comprehensive yeah. Child Care Development Act, which would have mm. provided universal daycare and preschool mm to American families. Think about how much that would have changed yeah. our lives, right? My, literally my own mm -hmm. life, my mother's life. It passed the House mm -hmm. and the Senate and was vetoed by wow. Richard Nixon. So I really, yeah. I wanted my characters to be seeing this on the news and thinking about it and mourning its loss, right? Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. other thing that was on the table was the, um, was the Equal Rights Amendment, which was actually 
written in 1923 and had come up for ratification many times, but in 1970, again, had passed the House and the Senate. There was widespread support for it. It went to the states for ratification. And there's, a, there's another novel in that, um, which we can't get into all the ins and outs of it, but um, it does not get ratified in time to become an amendment. And could still get, it could still, it needs a champion. <laughs> but but uh, in the right. eyes of the law, women, mm. anyone who is not a, a male is not equal under the eyes of the law, because, you know, really. At the same time that these amazing laws are coming up to become law, and there's a lot of excitement around that, they're getting defeated, yes, but there's all this amazing hope and things that do happen, right? We get Title IX, Roe does go through in 1973. You know, there's the very, very famous March, Women's March on Washington in 1970, which was actually a, a strike. And there are these fantastic, hmm. um, it's, it's known as like the bra burning march, but although there were hardly any bras that were actually yeah. burned. So this is one of those apocryphal like things about. Uh, what was that? Yeah, there, actually, bra? I think I read somewhere, <laughs> don't quote me on this, but I think I read somewhere that there were like more bras burned in the UK than in the US. But there were such great slogans like, don't iron while the strike is hot. You know, <laughs> um, you know that's right? awesome. So there's just so much excitement and belief that things are really are going to change. And I think I wanted Jane to have that energy to it. Yeah. It's always these moments, you know, like it's like the Wonder Woman Barbie moments. You know, there's always this like push around Wonder Woman and, you know, Barbie. And it's like at the end of the day, it's the argument that eats itself mm. because she's still looks like Wonder Woman and and still looks like Barbie, even though they're fighting the fight and doing the thing. So it's like it, it always feels like it's around those moments that these things are happening and that this this book really took us there. For those of you that are going to be in Miami, Carrie's going to be reading with a with a group of other writers. I think it's yes. two, two other writers, right? Yes. Um, On the 19th of November at 2 p.m. I'm even going to tell you where it is. If you know the Miami Book Fair, room 8202. <laughs> The Miami Book Fair. Have you have you This is my been first to, time. To I'm book- so excited. Oh, so excited. That's... I hope I don't get lost. I'm gonna head I'm gonna start on Saturday <laughs> trying to get to my room. <laughs> yeah. Well it's it that's the wonderful thing about it that you know there's so many events and so many writers from all over the place, literally all over the world. Yeah. Um it's one of the most beautiful book fairs around and we're lucky to have it in community here in, in Miami. And it's really been you know, like, truly, it's one of those things that you kind of like, your heart flutters when you start to see the tents going up, you know, because you, you know <laughs> that it's it's starting. And then, you know, it's expanded so much all throughout Miami-Dade College. And it's just really actually throughout the year. I mean, they have workshops and all right. kinds of things. But November is where it's at. Yeah, that's where where when you're coming down. I just kind of want to expand a little bit, just talk more broadly about, because I was reading, you know, you've also written about writing, yes, right? Yeah. About, and you talk about uh, the inspiration of Dead Poet Society. And ah, that makes, oh me, my that gosh. makes me curious. You did some homework. Makes, <laughs> it clicks. So I'm like, talk about that a little bit, because I know everybody in this, in this podcast has a relationship with that. With Dead Poet oh, yeah. Society? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I want to like know about have... your relationship to Dead Poet Society. It's so funny. I, I really do want to know. But it is so yeah. weird that you're asking me this today because just yesterday I was thinking about that movie. I don't think about it every day. I mean, I really don't. But I live in the Northeast. We're having a totally gorgeous fall. The, the leaves are changing color. It's just spectacular outside. And there's that scene where the boy who falls in love with, the, I don't remember anyone's name from the film, but he rides his bike in front of some mm-hmm. gorgeous fall foliage, you know? Yeah. And like, there's a there's like a release of birds into the air. And it's like, just like yeah. poetically yeah. gorgeous. Like, it's like yeah. quintessential New England beauty, right? And I yeah. thought about that scene. And I, then I thought, and that led me to sort of think about the movie for the first time in years. So it's r- sort of uh, serendipitous that you're asking me about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it was a movie. I saw it. It came out when I was like in middle school. I was exactly mm-hmm. the right age to see it. I already yeah. thought of myself as an aspiring writer. It just spoke to me on such a deep level. It, of course, made me want to live on the North- in the Northeast. <laughs> um, girl, I was in California. <laughs> Although now that I've lived my entire adult life in the Northeast, I want to move back to California. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I see Nicole over there doing a little dance. <laughs> Um, anyway, so it's funny how the pendulum swings on, on things like yeah. that. So tell me about your experiences with this movie. It's just very similar. And I think it's the same thing. It's like the perfect age to watch this, the the film, you know, so it does something. But I always think about those movies that stay with you mm-hmm. and that, you know, you I like I always I you think also Robin Williams mm. was was pretty magical mm. in that movie. Brilliant. And just it brought yeah. up so many as someone who works, you know, like screen theater and you know books it's the perfect book because it really encompasses all of those mm-hmm. things and it brought up so many young actors also like ethan hawk is in yeah it, it was he? a baby ethan yeah ethan hawk and like um just so many so it was definitely i feel like a huge movie in our house like at least for me a hundred percent and and it, and i think that if you really watch it and feel it mm-hmm. um it doesn't matter what age you are mm. or when that you watch it. it. Yeah. I was an adult with children yeah. and it it spoke to me. And actually, I think I saw it one more time and I really can't see it that often because it breaks it's, my yeah, heart. Me too. I still a cry thousand every time ways. I see it. Yeah. It's not just, you know, what happened to that boy. It's mm-hmm. But it makes you think and feel, what do I really want to do? Yes. And what am yeah. I prepared to do? Yeah. And that's for me the message of that movie, right? And I before that I wanted to tell you, Carrie, before we go, and I don't know when we're gonna go, but uh Van is the boss of that. <laughs> and uh <laughs> but um your book, I think, it doesn't matter when you would have written it, it would have spoken to different people mm. yeah. at the time. Different Let's ways, say yeah. that what happened recently hadn't happened. I would have read the book anyway. It would have spoken to us. And it would have told us different things, you know. And one of the things that it told me when I was reading your pages was, wow, you're so cool. <laughs> you you lived that, you know. And, and, like and these characters. Yes, yes right. you lived that. Yes. And, and you were young and, and it marked us. Because as I read your pages, I said, I, I, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I'm a feminist. And I think that that movement helped me. Mm-hmm. It, it formed me. Yeah. 
you know, and, and you're reminding us of that now so that we don't we don't lose it right and a For whole new of generation us, of I, women who are growing up and in, in this weird time too even the older ones we yeah. have to remember yeah that this is always on fire did you speak to anyone i mean i know these characters are totally fictional but obviously this is was a real collective group in history mm. so did even though it's completely fictional i mean how much research did you do did you speak to anyone i did um from the group or at that of that time yeah so there are two i i actually i i did a whole bunch of different kinds of research for this book okay. I mean, including watching documentaries one of which was on apple television they had this amazing documentary called 1971 the year that music changed everything which was mm. great for me to watch because yeah. it was really all about the music and the TV shows and the films and like just all the cu cultural things that were happening. It helped me with the clothes and a lot of like references um, that I probably wouldn't have gotten from just reading or even flipping through magazines. Um, so, you know, things like that. But there were there were, are two nonfiction books that have been written by members of Jane that I did read. Okay. Um, and they were important for me to read. I actually tried talking to the writer of one of them, but she couldn't consult on another creative project. And so that unfortunately went nowhere. I did manage to speak to like a, a peripheral member of Jane. That was good for me to do. It was good for me to, to talk to her. But at some point... Like the fictional characters took over. I felt like I had a good enough handle on the kind of the procedural aspect of Jane for the purposes of the novel that I was like, okay, I just need to focus on making this as good a novel as, as I possibly can. You know, when you're writing historical fiction, every writer of historical fiction, I think, has different desires and tolerances for the truth. <laughs> um, you know, and, and this was my first novel writing uh, about a, a real time and place, but fictional characters. Um, and I really wanted to embrace the fact that it was fictional characters. I really, mm -hmm. I really wanted to be able to let my imagination just go to all the places it needed to go. And I didn't want to be too hemmed in. I wanted to make sure I got some facts right. I didn't want to get anything like wrong, of although presumably I have. But um, I tried <laughs> my best not to. You know, and the, yeah. other, the other kind of research I did, I have a very good local friend who's a midwife. I had a couple of very mm -hmm. good conversations with her about yeah. women's anatomy and and what the procedure is actually like to perform. I mean, like, you know, I have not performed this procedure. Um, so yeah. I had to invent yeah. that. But I, I tried to, yeah. like, find out as much as I possibly could about what it would have felt like to do it. Mm. Reminds you of Call the Midwife. You know, that yeah. Show. You know, so show. I watched some of those episodes. Did you? Because I thought yeah. of it when I was reading the book. I was like, this kind of like took me back for a minute to Call yeah. the Midwives. I also just want to say one one thing about one of the moments, which I loved because it's so the opposite of what always happens. And that's always wonderful, <laughs> which is the, the priest. Mm. Um, mm, you know, yes. so often priests and nuns can be rebels and are really there for how can I like in the depths of the truth of what the mission is is like how am I going to help this human being at this moment right. exactly. where she goes to the priest and you think you know oh this is going to be one of those moments and it isn't it's it's a it's a moment of openness and I think it just like goes back to this it's a dead poet society and this and this book, because really at the core of both of these <laughs> collectives and groups is freedom and yeah. a need for freedom over yourself. Yes. Hood. Yes. I just 
wanted to go back to what you said, uh, and I loved it, where obviously you did your research. But that you, you know, I do believe in guides, mm. um, you know, our invisible guides mm. uh, in everything we do. And I think that in, in you, uh, especially now, you know, after our sharing this moment, you, you know, you were true to that. You were true to your guides. And I'll tell you that, for instance, my group, we, when we were of age, you know, and I don't remember what the age that was, 17 or whatever, you know, we all went to the same gynecologist and and we we I don't know who found her one of us did and and her I don't want to say her name I'm sure she's not with us anymore because I mean she was already a seasoned doctor uh, and and she the, the least thing we expected right was that for each of us because then after we left you know we had different dates and different appointments what did she tell you and and I said well well she went through the anatomy of everything there and <laughs> and you know and and she went into responsibility and 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 pleasure and and what to expect and what to demand it was very wow and she even went into you know if this happens you know there are groups there are help and it was you made me remember that mm. okay and she was a wonderful woman and yes very, very i don't think you knew this no. thank goodness no. for women like learning. that i know right yeah and so your guides i mean they know it all yeah <laughs> yeah there's always i you know i have i this this sort of rebel priest character is based on reality. I mean, when I, when I talk about the clergy referral service, that was a real organization. And it, it was it was not it was across many denominations and religions. And they were they were clergymen who and women who um, presumably um, in other churches <laughs> helped women who needed them find groups like Jane or providers like Jane. And it was very interesting. I remember after Dobbs, I heard a different NPR news story. I just happened to tune in at the right time about the reconvening of the clergy referral service. Wow. So I'm like, huh, you know? Wow. So uh, I'm 100% sure that people are going to want to pick up this book and go hear you talk. So is there anything yes. you want to tell us about that's upcoming as we wrap up now? <sighs> anything you want to share with us this is like the plug moment <laughs> <laughs> well please come and see me at the miami book festival and buy a book and get it signed buy three books give it to your kids fifth grade teacher and give it to your mother-in-law <laughs> whoever else you yep. think you know is a big reader um, i'm happy to sign sign all the books i love doing that and i love <laughs> and i love meeting people at events and all that i mean i genuinely really like it so please come and ask and if you and bring your questions too like i also there's going to be plenty of time during the panel for q a that's my favorite part yep. i'd much rather take questions from you guys than talk like about a bunch of things that you might not want to know, um, you know, and the other play, the other, I, I do want to plug, you know, whether or not you can come to the book festival or not. Uh, the other places to find me are, um, I'm really trying to work on my Substack newsletter and, um, and platform. And so that's a place where it's like a social media platform. You can join as just a reader. Um, you, th there are varying levels of subscription. Um, right now, my content is is free. 
And I really like to connect with people on Substack. And I'm writing a lot about being a writer. Um, you've alluded to my first book was actually called This Is Not a Writing Manual, Notes for the Young Writer in the Real World. So I have this history of writing about writing and what it's like to be a writer and, and how do you get there and how do you care for yourself along the way. So I'm doing more yeah. of that kind of work on Substack these days. Um, I'm also on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, Instagram. Yeah. And your handle on um, Instagram is? is? Carrie Mayer Writer. And that's on Instagram and on Substack. If you just, if you literally Google Carrie Mayer Substack, you will find me. The Substack itself is called Sandcastles. Okay, people. Now, you know, I loved, I loved the spirit of like this feeling of like when you're a young writer and other people are, are more successful than you uh, and you're like, ah, it's like, get over that, get over it fast and join the community. You know what yes. I mean? Like that's, that yes. is awesome. And I love that spirit and it's all mm -hmm. over it. So I love it. Um, just thank you for your book and thank you for being with us on, on Never the Empty Nest. Thank you. thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a fun conversation. Totally. Wonderful. Join us for our special book fair episodes on November 6th, 12th, and 17th. And even if you can't make the readings, listen to these amazing writers talk about their subjects, their passions, their wonderful stories. Story is everything. You can't make a nest without story. All of your success, she says, all the great things ahead. I'll be here when it's time to see you.